6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's February 23rd. I'm Kelly Reese. This is your KVMR Friday Evening News Magazine. First up, we take a look at your local news. That means we've got details on this weekend's Nevada City Chinese Lunar New Year Parade and Festival. And it's no secret that many find housing in Nevada County to be a major source of frustration. The county's asking for your input when it comes to local housing policy. Keep listening to find out how your voice can be heard. Then, hydraulic fracturing, commonly referred to as fracking, has come roaring back into the news recently. A Nevada irrigation district has a big decision looming on the horizon. KVMR's Paul Emery and hydrogeologist Steve Baker tackle both topics on the latest edition of Water News. Money Matters host Mark Cunaberti is back with an overview of Uncle Sam's purse strings. How does the U.S. measure up when it comes to spending and lending compared with our fellow country cohorts? Mark takes a look at nation-size fiscal matters in his commentary up ahead. And stick around for the Friday News Magazine's finale with an essay by Molly Fisk. In this week's visit, Molly directs her thoughts to the process of aging and the afterlife. What do the two encompass? Will we ever truly know? That's all coming up. Your Friday News Magazine starts now. We'll begin this evening with your news roundup. Nevada County has extended their housing survey through Thursday, February 29th. In a news release, the county says the survey aims to identify the housing challenges that most affect residents throughout the county. But those seeking housing aren't the only voices pleading for something to be done about the scant supply of affordable options. The county says local employers have also shared their concerns and are welcome to do so. Quote, We want to hear from everyone, including our small and large businesses, on the challenges they've seen with their employees, says Mike Dent, Nevada County's Director of Housing and Community Services. For example, Jerry Serino, the owner of Serino's at Main Street Restaurant in Grass Valley, and a building contractor, has alleged the housing shortage hurts his ability to do business in Nevada County. Quote, I can't find employees because they can't find a place to live. I can't keep them because they can't afford to stay here. We're missing the economic benefit of their talent, Serino says. The 10-minute online survey is open to Nevada County residents, employees, and employers. Survey participants will be asked about the housing challenges that affect them or their employees most and which solutions would be most helpful. Results will be used to inform the county's policy decisions regarding housing. The survey can be found at nevadacountyca.gov slash housing survey. The Nevada City Chinese Lunar New Year Parade and Festival returns to Nevada City this Sunday from noon to 4.30. The parade ushers in the Year of the Dragon. The Downtown Nevada City Parade and Festival is the combined effort of the Community Asian Theater of the Sierra, known as CATS, and the Miners Foundry Cultural Center. This year marks the 10th celebration honoring the Sierra's early Chinese gold rush pioneers and railroad workers. Nevada County was once home to a bustling Chinese community, with Commercial Street in downtown Nevada City being the site of the old Chinese quarter. The community parade begins at noon on Sunday, departing from Robinson Plaza at the bottom of Commercial Street and Union Street. 
it'll wind its way through downtown, culminating in a performance by Eastern Ways Martial Arts on Spring Street. Now let's take a closer look at your weekend weather forecast from the National Weather Service. Expect dry, mild weather throughout next week with patchy morning fog. Stronger storms will arrive late next week into next weekend, bringing periods of rain, mountain snow, and gusty winds. But for now, let's focus on the details of this weekend's forecast. For those in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 42 degrees. Saturday sunny with a high near 65. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 42 degrees. Sunday mostly sunny with a high near 60. Sunday night sees a 40% chance of showers mainly after 10 p.m. Patchy fog between 9 and 10 p.m and mostly cloudy with a low around 44 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, areas of fog between 4 and 5 a.m. with freezing fog after 5 a.m. Otherwise, tonight will be mostly cloudy with a low around 25 degrees. Saturday, partly sunny with a high near 50. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 24 degrees. Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 48. Sunday night sees a chance of rain and snow showers after 10 p.m. The snow level drops to 6,400 feet. It'll be mostly cloudy with a low around 31 degrees with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Sunday night sees a 30% chance of precipitation. New snow accumulation of less than half an inch is possible. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 43 degrees. Saturday, partly sunny, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 69. Sunday night will be mostly clear with a low around 45 degrees. Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 66. Sunday night sees a 30% chance of showers after 10 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a low around 50 degrees. And for Placerville and Angels Camp, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 45 degrees. Saturday, sunny with a high near 67. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 44 degrees. Sunday, sunny with a high near 63. Sunday night sees a 40% chance of showers, mainly after 10 p.m. It'll be mostly cloudy with a low around 47 degrees. You're listening to the Friday Evening News Magazine on KVMR. Up ahead, Paul Emery sits down with hydrogeologist Steve Baker to discuss some bold headlines in the world of water news. The two tackle a resurgence of the fracking debate and a difficult decision that could have impacts on local water use. Water News with Paul Emery and Steve Baker is up next. The Water News is sponsored by Clearwater and Filtration, offering solutions for water quality, well operations, maintenance, and water storage management problems. Well, it's time for Water News with Steve Baker. Steve, um, well fracking is in the news again. Uh, I didn't know that oil and gas well fracking were still going on. Tell us about this. <laughs> yeah, it has been going on, that's for sure. Uh, but back in 2015, there were some changes. The Geologic Management Division, it's referred to as CalGEM, the Well Stimulation Treatments uh, Regulations, they came into effect. Now, these regulations were requ they required the oil and gas companies to conduct 
bilingual neighbor notifications, uh, more water well testing, uh, pressure testing the OM gas wells to uh, make sure that those well stimulation fluids are getting where they're supposed to go. And then lastly, that the uh, wells themselves that they're, they're uh, applying these high pressures to aren't going to break and cause, cause problems. So these were the kinds of things that changed in 2015. And they, they were even monitoring earthquakes, you know, because earthquakes can happen when you lubricate with these uh, liquids that we're, that we're uh, putting into the ground. But what happened since 2015 is people uh, continue to be concerned about their health. So an advisory panel was formed in 2020 that looked at the public health risk issues, and they concluded that health-damaging air pollutants are more concentrated near oil and gas production sites. seems somewhat intuitive to <laughs> think of that anyhow. Um, they also said that there's a, ca- there's a causal relationship with uh, close proximity to oil and gas development. They also said that there is a causal relationship with close proximity to oil and gas development and pulmonary issues even perinatal outcomes. So the state is now proposing that permits for fracking be phased out by sometime this year. Well, Steve, uh, I hear there's an interesting report that the U.S. Geological Survey just that, that just came out with that is adding a lot of understanding on how habitat restoration benefits native fish populations in California. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, as many of our listeners probably already know, the Central Valley Project is a huge project, and it's a complex network of dams and reservoirs and canals and hydroelectric power plants and a lot of other conveyance facilities. And all these uh, these networks, these, these structures, are they extend something like 400 miles across the Central Valley of California. And they have a purpose. They are there to reduce flood risk for the Central Valley, but also supply water. And Greater Sacramento and San Francisco Bay Area are recipients of a lot of this water. So the focus of regulations uh, has always been primarily on the water flows, on the temperature of that water, and also on the timing. Now, more attention will also be made or applied to habitat restoration and changes in the channels. This will help the fish. This will help the ecosystem. And I expect the gain knowledge of this work to be pretty fruitful. Uh, they're looking at the movement of sediment that will actually cause improvements of the habitat. The union just put out an article on unimpaired flow. That's in quotes. Uh, as an alternative for Scott's Flat Reservoir, and that NID is grappling right now. What what are unimpaired flows, and why is NID asking to address this? Well, you know, unimpaired flows; those are natural flows. Okay, we're not getting in the way. We're not slowing it down. We're not diverting it in some other direction. It's an unimpaired flow. Now, NID's already. They've been looking at unimpaired flows on an annual basis, and they even have a 50-year plan where they've been looking at it. And the, the reason why is they want to prepare for spring melt and, and be able to effectively provide uh, water during those high water demand periods of time throughout the year. Uh, NID and other purveyors, uh, they're being looked at right now uh, by the the State Water Resource Control Board, and their concern is that the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta is really having problems from a, a, an aquatic place, and they want to improve that. So the state is asking 
NID and many other water purveyors all across uh, California to look at these natural flows and and increase them by uh, San Joaquin, I think it was 33%. And we're being asked to improve things by 55%. So they're, they're asking, that's a big ask. And this would be in support of improving the ecosystem down in the Delta, but also the Bay. Okay. So how would that impact Scotts Flat Reservoir and communities in Nevada County and the foothill areas? Well, first of all, we're talking about the entire NID reservoir network and conveyances, okay? Again, I said, this is a big ask. Um, historically, or the backstory, the San Joaquin River, uh, the that watershed and all those uh, purveyors in, in that area, they've already been asked to do this and they were asked to provide up to something like 33% of, of all in, unimpaired flows. Well, it's in litigation right now. That's, you know, when you're taking away from, when, when you're trying to give to something else, you're taking away from somewhere else. And that's what they're concerned about. The Sacramento River watersheds now being asked to provide up to 55% of all impaired flows. Big ask. They, they, this could be devastating for NID and, and really the customers and, uh, and other uh, water purveyors that are being asked uh, up in Northern California. We have to consider the alternatives, to all water users, including the Delta. That's been missing in the past. It's usually been, uh, Delta wasn't even considered. And then, you know, more recently, uh, uh, we weren't really considering so much the people, the, the humans using the waters. Now they're, they're looking at everything altogether. So potentially the impacts to our communities uh, will have impact uh, NID's uh, recreational benefits, Scotts Flat Reservoir, do we enjoy a lot of recreation there. Agricultural and domestic water uses, it'll affect that hugely, and also hydropower. So uh, by by slowing things down and, uh, and just allowing the water to pass through the system rather than be stored in the system causes problems. If it's a good water year, the reservoirs would probably be filled up anyhow and and it wouldn't be a big deal. However, this is designed for the bad water years. And during those water years, we need water, right? People need water too, but that water would not be allowed to be delivered and stored in NID infrastructure. Instead, it would have to pass through and eventually go to the ocean. And uh, that that would be a, pro- a real problem for the, the customers up in, in these regions, including NID's district. NID right now is looking into a proposal that's focused on a volunteer agreement. And they're looking at alternative ways. They, they want to fine tune what they do, they're doing so that they can provide uh, these approaches and, sat, and satisfy not only them, but also the state. They're trying to tweak time deliveries, discharge rates, diversion locations, adjustments in storage, those, those kinds of things that would provide the requested unimpaired flows. So really the big question that our listeners need to ask themselves is what's our responsibility to downgrade in water environments and, and the users down there? Sometimes these personal uh, decisions will come with some inconvenience and also some unpleasant impacts. But we do, as individuals, need to consider that. Where, are, where do our responsibilities lie? That's a really big story. And this is something that I'm sure will be uh, in the news as it develops. And this may be in the fight for a while, too. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much. You bet.
Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. You think you're in debt? Just wait till you hear how much Uncle Sam owes. Mark Cunaberti compares and contrasts debts and GDPs around the globe in his latest Money Matters commentary. That's up next. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. For those of you who are fans of big government, congratulations are in order. The United States of America has the largest government in the history of the world. To give you an idea of just how big we have become, the federal government spent $6.13 trillion in 2023. Putting that in perspective, it took since our nation's founding in 1776 to the year 1981 to hit a $1 trillion deficit. Now we spend and borrow way more than that every year. A mere 43 years later, after hitting the $1 trillion mark, we have $34 trillion in debt, and that's not all of it. There's something called unfunded liabilities, which is debt that isn't quite due yet, but will be, and that is so astronomically high, no one can really put an accurate figure on it. The best guess we have, it's about $80 trillion. The $6.13 trillion we doled out in 2023 is nominally larger in actual dollars than the GDP of almost every nation on the planet. GDP means every dime, dollar and nickel spent in a year, and it means gross domestic product. The percentage of gross domestic product that our government requires to take from its citizens to run itself currently stands at about 36%. In other words, all the bureaus, agencies, and departments of the government devour about 36% of what the entire nation makes by selling whatever it is you all sell and service whatever it is you all service. Simply put, all the money changing hands between every one of us ends up leaking about a third of it into the government hungry mouth. Percentage-wise, Vladimir Putin's vaulted Russia is tied with us. China is close at about 33% of GDP. But as I said, in nominal dollars, which is basically how many trillions are consumed, we are the largest. Ukraine's government comes in at a whopping 66% of its people's money. No wonder they're broke over there. But in actual dollars compared to us, it's chicken feed. An interesting side note, I normally wouldn't think of Iran as a well-run place, but its government comparatively is on a diet of about 12% of GDP. And what state in Uncle Sam's empire has the largest unfunded liabilities? Look down at the ground if you live where I live, and I live in the golden state of California. So you have to ask, what do we get for all that debt? Many would argue not nearly our money's worth, while others would claim we get one heck of a deal. For that matter, why not give them more of what we make then? Ah, uh, no, please don't. How did we get in such a debt-laden mess? Like anyone else who gets stuffed to the gills in debt, we spend more than we make. That's how. Governments who can print money can basically spend as much as they please, and most all governments can print their own versions. Here in the U.S., our lofty government conjures up U.S. dollars from its printing press, nicknamed the Greenback. Over in Switzerland, they manufacture Swiss francs, and in Japan, the mighty yen is the meal of the day, and so on and so forth throughout the Earthland. An area restriction constrains any one of them from doing so, but it wasn't always this way. Decades ago, and through much of time, the currencies of the civilized world were 
backed by gold. If you printed up a million dollars, you had to have a million dollars in gold, and that way you avoided the Mexican peso moment. That's my nickname for unbridled printing of colored paper with dead presidents on them. Until you print so many of them, no one accepts them anymore. There are more technical terms for it, the simplest one being inflation. But since many people know the word of inflation, but really don't understand what inflation is besides prices are going up, the words Mexican pesos seems to instantly educate people on what is so bad about inflation and printing up lots of money. As modern day governments go, they can't stop spending, but that dang gold always seemed to get in the way. And in man's creative imagination, the mother of invention spawned a novel but simplistic remedy to the unbridling of the purse strings. Say the hell with backing the money with gold. And bingo, it makes no sense anyway, at least to the spenders, so they say. And in one swift edict, well, actually followed by many swift edicts, one by one, the nations of the world said the heck with this gold thing. Gold wasn't tossed out the window, mind you, but the relationship between it and the colored paper with dead presidents on them was eliminated. And this is why the debt is so high all over the world, because we, they, us, and them can print as many dollars, francs, yens, euros, rupees, and whatever else there is, simply because we want to. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. Remember, this newscast expresses my opinion only. It's not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell anything or represents the opinion of any bank or registered investment advice. It also doesn't represent the opinion of this radio station, its staff, management, or underwriter. I hold a BA in economics with Honors 1979, California insurance license OL34249. I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California, and you can email me at news at moneymanagementradio.com. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I used to wonder why my grandmother and her friends were always talking about their health, or rather ill health. And this grandmother was as close to a jock as mid-century grandmothers got. She spent her days walking on the barrier beaches of Cape Cod, taking inventory of leased turn nests, checking feathers that washed in with the tide for shaft length. Short shafts meant the presence of DDT in a bird's diet and feeding various injured owls who were recuperating in the aviary attached to her garage. This is in addition to growing rhubarb, broccoli, lettuce, tomatoes, etc., and cooking every meal from scratch, making her own bread most of the time, and taking live birds to every grammar school in southern Massachusetts to teach kids about conservation. You might even be one of the third graders who let her put a hummingbird up to your ear so you could be amazed at the speed of its heartbeat. She never admitted ill health to me, except once when she needed an operation and asked me to pick her up at the hospital. Her bladder had become unmoored, she said. But as someone who saw her pretty often over decades and was not entirely consumed with my own life, I did notice her pace slowing a little and the moments after she stood up from chair or sofa when she needed to pause and reorganize her bones. When her peers came over for cocktails, their conversation always turned to a catalog of health problems, knees, backs, necks, insomnia, incontinence, arthritis, eyesight, 
missing teeth, vanishing hearing, and, of course, the cluelessness of the younger generations. A friend tells me her mother called this the organ recital. Now that I can see 70 looming over the next hill, I wish I'd paid closer attention. I was usually reading a mystery novel nearby and hopping up when requested to fill the bowl of salted peanuts or get more tonic. I would like to know what my grandmother thought about growing old. Gales of laughter increased in time to the number of cocktails, so I knew these octogenarians were having at least a little fun. But what they thought about their diminishments or the afterlife, I have no idea. One of my oldest friends died last spring. She used to say she wished she believed in life after death because it would have been comforting, but she just didn't. I admired her for not making something up. Billy Collins has a great poem called The Afterlife about everyone going to the places they'd imagined. Some have already joined the celestial choir and are singing as if they have been doing this forever, while the less inventive find themselves stuck in a big air-conditioned room full of food and chorus girls. All I know is that when people or cats are dead, they really are not there anymore. It's so shocking. Where have they gone? They never come back to tell us. If I ever die, which is unlikely, but you never know, I hope my friends will be able to hear me in the prehistoric gurgling calls of sandhill cranes flying over. I've written a lot of poems, too, which, if you read them aloud, will encompass us both, your voice carrying the nouns and verbs, mine imperceptibly, as only it can, both softening and sharpening the tone. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Friday, February 23rd. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Volt Brothers Automotive, serving the community since 1982, located at 962 Golden Gate Terrace in Grass Valley. Same worksmanship, customer service, and community involvement. Online at volsbros.com and Sun River Solar, a family-owned local solar contractors since 2008, providing solar and battery installations for homes and businesses wanting energy independence and backup power during utility outages, specializing in PG&E connected systems for the foothills. SunRiverSolar.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. Thanks for tuning in to your Friday news magazine. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great weekend.